Welcome to the Energy Update presented by the Institute for Energy Research. I'm Alex Stevens, and I'm joined by IER's Deputy Director of Public Policy, Jordan McGillis. Jordan, uh, what would you like to highlight for listeners this week? I'd like to highlight my recent carbon tax update that's on the IER website. Uh, this, this, is, this comes from a monthly newsletter I send out called the Carbon Tax Ticker, and then we just convert it and put it up on our blog at IER. But one of the things I talked about this week uh, in that update is Sweden's carbon tax. Sweden has one of the oldest carbon taxes in the world. It's been around since 1991, and uh, it's quite high relative to the dollar figures that we see thrown around for U.S. proposals. In the U.S., when we see carbon taxes proposed, they're often in the range of around $40 per metric ton of CO2, which corresponds uh, relatively closely to the Obama administration's social cost of carbon estimate. Um, Sweden's carbon tax is now at $126 per ton if we converted uh, from their currency into ours, so quite high. Um, and many people look at the results in Sweden and they see uh, an effective carbon tax, something that has um, drastically reduced emissions. Um, they cite that Sweden has decreased its greenhouse gas emissions by 27% since 1990. So that sounds large, but when you take the full context of what's gone on globally and you look at the, the shortcomings of this carbon tax, you realize that even a, a carbon tax that's as high as $126 per metric ton is still not actually eliminating greenhouse gas emissions in the way some promise it would. So uh, to pour some cold water on that 27% decrease, let's consider what's happened in the US. The US doesn't have a carbon tax, and we do have a variety of uh, greenhouse gas regulations, which um, are probably contributing but to the decrease we've seen in, in greenhouse gas emissions here. But the biggest thing in the US has been a market shift to more natural gas, the electricity generation rather than coal generation. And we've reduced greenhouse gas emissions by around 15% in about the last 12 years. Now, if you compare to 1990, the US is basically at the exact same emissions level. But what that doesn't tell you is the, that how much lower our per capita emissions are in the US. And actually, we've increased the population by 80 million in this country. And we have the same greenhouse gas uh, output as we did 30 years ago. So when you take that into account, that 27% decrease in Sweden doesn't look quite as extraordinary. That's a really high cost to be paying for certainly more of a reduction than we've had here, but uh, nothing near a 50% or anywhere near 100% reduction. And why is that? Well, a big part of it is something you like to talk about, Alex, the way that politics operate and public choice dynamics within legislatures, within regulatory bodies. Only about 40% of Sweden's total emissions um, landscape is covered by the carbon tax. And that's because of various carve-outs, which uh, intend to protect certain industries which are, are considered trade-exposed or energy-intensive. So they're levying this huge carbon tax on the, the average consumer um, and on many products, but it's not across the board. And so we've got this distortion where big carbon tax, 126 USD per metric ton, and yet it only covers 40% of total emissions. And the result is that I would argue it's a rather modest 27% decrease in their greenhouse gas emissions. So when people offer the carbon tax as a silver bullet for 
greenhouse gas emissions, and they, they think that it's something that an, eco an economy can gradually incorporate and that can gradually wean an economy from the use of fossil fuels, they're really not looking at the evidence that we see across economic policy that should lead us to believe there will be carve-outs, there will be public choice push and, push and pull that's going to cause the carbon tax to be far less effective than it's promised to be. Also, I, I don't know if you touched on it. I, I don't think you did, but obviously in the global scheme of things, Sweden's carbon tax, uh, the impact on emissions overall is kind of just a drop in the bucket, right? And Absolutely. Um, the, off the top of my head, I can't give you the exact uh, proportion of global emissions that Sweden contributes, but given that it's a country with, I believe, um, fewer than 20 million people, it may have even fewer than 10 million people, uh, you know, roughly equivalent to the New York metropolitan area, it is an insignificant contributor in the global scheme. And so their carbon tax of um, the equivalent of $126 per, per ton that's reducing their emissions 27% is infinitesimal to the point of being immeasurable if we're looking at global concentrations of greenhouse gases. Uh, and then furthermore, if we're attempting to ascertain some temperature modulating effect, basically there's none. Uh, now that point alone, I don't think is something that, that shreds the case for a carbon tax. Sweden is a very small country. The US, the case people make for the US is that if the US implemented a carbon tax, uh, it would have more of a, of a global impact because the US is more of an industrial, more of an industrial power, a larger player economically, and simply just a much, much larger country, 20 times as large. So no real world measurable impact of the Swedish carbon tax. But I also don't like to myself proffer that case too strongly um, because if this were something that truly I thought should be addressed, I think it would be incumbent upon um, each polity to, you know, proverbially do its share. Uh, and if you're someone who is convinced that countries need to quote unquote do their share and you look at Sweden, you would say, yeah, they have the right idea, but you run into these political barriers. And even a country that wants to um, be a leader as Sweden does is stymied by political wrangling. So yes, we've got another post at IER this week that uh, compares the Biden plan to California's, um, we'll call it a green energy plan. I don't know if there's one cohesive term they use. Uh, and I think you're going to elucidate that for us. Yeah, the, the piece is called the Biden energy plan is more like California's but worse. And uh, basically, it just sets out uh, Joe Biden uh, is setting aside like $2 trillion for clean energy um, in a plan that he hopes is going to replace fossil fuels across the entire electrical grid by 2035, which is 10 years earlier, I believe, than California's state goal. Isn't That's right. Yeah. California's, California's laid out 2045 as their their date of uh, liberation, we'll say. Yeah, and so it's sort of an interesting thing because obviously if we're looking at what's going on in California right now, you have problems with intermittency and blackouts and a lot of that, not 100% of it, but a good amount of it has to do with the fact that that California's you know current grid requires 60% of its energy to come from renewable energy. And you know we, we've spelled out on... Uh, these radio segments, but also, you know, in much of IER's material elsewhere, sort of how that process is played out. So uh, 
to, to plumb a bit further there, Alex, why, why do you think it's so easy for politicians to escape scrutiny when they lay out plans like this at you know, a decade plus into the future? It always seems like it's uh, a period of time that is very hard to um, disprove the possibility of. Another example would be China's Xi Jinping uh, offering 2060 as a carbon neutrality year for for China. This these tend to elicit um, widespread praise, uh, and it seems like there's not a lot of skepticism around the claims. They're they're sort of in a position where they're worried about uh, the 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 next election, so they're willing to say things to get elected, but then they present ideas that spread across the long that are spread out across uh like you know 20 or 30 years you know periods in which they're most likely not going to be in office not in public life or you know if they're an older politician they might not even be alive so they're free from the sort of constraints of uh the decisions that they're making about uh the direction to go in certain policy areas in some way so that's why it's important to be skeptical when people are presenting plans, especially in the political arena, uh, that stretch across very long periods of time. They're, certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, I think that's everything that I have on the Biden energy plan. Both of these articles that we discussed today can be found on our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Alex Stevens.